I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. You know, someone asked me if I had any scientific evidence of the red wave. And I said, no, it's just a judgment call. But when I make a judgment call, it becomes the science. It's high noon for Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. Follow the podcast on Gavin Parlor at I'm Your Moderator or the info stream where I put out all the stuff I'm reading and thinking. I use it like a Twitter and Facebook and Instagram combined. Like I used to when I had those legacy social media platforms. Telegram Messenger app where you can find that t.me slash I'm your moderator. The discussion thread, if you want to talk about stuff, is at t.me slash be reasonable discussion. And if you'd like a beautiful shirt or other merchandise, go to www.cancelcotour.com. Today is the 49th full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of America's most corrupt families imaginable, and the father of one Hunter Biden, just about the most despicable son anyone could imagine having. To the point where you have to ask, my God, Joe Biden, what happened? What did you do to this poor boy that made him such a degenerate? And why are you sending this crackhead around the world to conduct business on behalf of you with the goal of selling your political power for money? to our foreign adversaries. And then, if you have Joe on the line incoherent for longer than 10 seconds, maybe ask him why he sold out the country. I would be interested to find out. So congratulations, America, for electing a man, illegitimately, who happens to be every single one of the things you said you didn't like about Trump, except is, you know, really those things and way, way, way worse than you ever imagined Trump to be. Really, congratulations, commies. Excellent work. So yesterday I was greeted by a message on the discussion thread uh, once again from uh, Dr. Uh, Ramin Askui, who was one of four doctors on the post from the American Institute of Economic Research that refutes the coverage 
of the CDC study on mask mandates and obviously refutes the study itself. But it's very in line with the coverage. Somebody who read the study on their own would actually be able to see that the study doesn't say at all what the media is saying it says. And in fact, it says that there's no proof whatsoever that mask mandates do anything. They have found stats that they like that happen to correlate with the mask mandates in certain places, but doesn't establish any causal relationship. And even the data that they are focused on is pretty insignificant. So yesterday, Dr. Ascui posted a link to a piece in the Stanford Review by Scott Atlas. Dr. Scott Atlas was the man who was brought in, I think, late summer last year to advise President Trump since all he had been getting is the Anthony Fauci, Deborah Burks nonsense. And he wrote a piece here called The Last Word. It's a little long, but it's really great. And I want to read it. And obviously, I'll stop and talk about it and whatnot. Um, But yeah, StanfordReview.org, Scott Atlas, it's called The Last Word. It is always a great pleasure and an important part of my job to speak to students. It is essential for students to hear ideas from many sources, especially ideas they may not agree with. That is a key part of learning how to think critically, and critical thinking is the most important lesson to learn in college, in my opinion. The coronavirus pandemic has been a great tragedy. There can be no doubt about that. But it has also exposed profound issues in America that now threaten the very principles of freedom and order that we Americans often take for granted. First, I have been shocked at the enormous power of the government to unilaterally decree to simply close businesses and schools by edict, restrict personal movement, mandate behavior, and eliminate our most basic freedoms without any end and little accountability. Second, I remain surprised at the acceptance by the American people of draconian rules, restrictions, and unprecedented mandates, even those that are arbitrary, destructive, and wholly unscientific. This crisis has also exposed what we all have known existed, but we have tolerated for years. The overt bias of the media, the lack of diverse viewpoints on campuses, the absence of neutrality in big tech controlling social media, and now more visibly than ever, the intrusion of politics into science. Ultimately, the freedom to seek and state truth is at risk here in the United States. We all acknowledge that the consequences of the SARS-2 coronavirus pandemic and its management have been enormous. Over half a million American deaths have been attributed to the virus. More will certainly follow. Even after almost a year, the pandemic still paralyzes much of our country. And despite all efforts, there was an undeniable failure to stop cases from rapidly escalating and prevent hospitalizations and death. Okay. So I want to pause there for a second. Now, he says over half a million American deaths have been attributed to the virus, and that is a very technically correct way to state that. I wonder what he would have to say on how many of those were actually caused by the virus. I would be very, very interested to get an answer on that from Scott Atlas because, you know, I could just be overreading this, but it feels like maybe he wrote it that way on purpose. Um, and then at the at the end of this paragraph here, he's completely right. Undeniable failure to stop cases from rapidly escalating and prevent hospitalizations and deaths. Is there anyone out there who believes that this thing would have gone differently if we did nothing? I don't. I don't see how anything we have done has helped 
at all. Okay? Telling us to wash our hands and stuff, that's fine. That's how you avoid getting coronaviruses. We didn't need to shut down the entire world. Here's the unacknowledged reality. Almost all states and major cities, with a handful of exceptions, have implemented severe restrictions for many months, including closures of businesses and in-person school, mobility restrictions and curfews, quarantines, limits on group gatherings, and mask mandates dating back to at least the summer. And I think that all of us, no matter where we live, have experienced some degree of that. Me living in Los Angeles for the whole time, I experienced the most of it. I mean, among the most in the entire country, certainly not in the world, because there are actually places that are doing this stuff with enforcement by their military. And we haven't gotten to that point. But still, it's affected all of our lives in one way or another. And let's clear up the myths about the behavior of Americans, social mobility tracking of Americans and data from Gallup, YouGov, the COVID-19 consortium and the CDC have shown significant reductions of movement as well as a consistently high percentage of mask wearing since the late summer, similar to Western Europe countries and approaching those in Asia. All legitimate policy scholars should today be openly re-examining policies that severely harmed American families and children while failing to save the elderly. That is what I've been saying since early last April. Like this was the first thing that immediately became apparent to me that no one was focused whatsoever on what the consequences of these decisions might be, particularly taking into account the infection fatality rate that we already knew at that point. Studies, including one in January from Stanford University's infectious disease scientists and epidemiologists, Ben David O. uh, Ben David O. Bhattacharya and Ioannidis have shown the mitigating impact of the extraordinary measures was small at best. And according to the study's senior author, Ioannidis, usually harmful, in his words, pro-contagion. President Biden openly admitted that their lack of efficacy in his speech to the nation on January 22nd, when he said, quote, there is nothing we can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months. Bizarrely, though, many want to blame those who oppose lockdowns and mandates for the failure of the very lockdowns and mandates that were widely implemented. Yes, agreed. That's me. In fact, (laughs) I had a friend blame me For the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Yes, it's dumb as hell. But it happened. That's where these commies are at. Separate from their limited value in containing the virus, efficacy that has often been, quote, grossly exaggerated in scientific journals, as documented by epidemiologists and biostatisticians, Chin, Ioannidis, Tanner, and Cripps, lockdown policies have been extraordinarily harmful. The harms to children of closing in-person schooling are dramatic, including poor learning, increased school dropouts, social isolation, most of which are far worse for lower income groups. A recent study confirms that up to 78% of cancers were never detected due to missed screening over three months. If one extrapolates to the entire country, up to a million new cases or more over nine months will have gone undetected. 
That health disaster adds to missed critical surgeries, chemotherapy, organ transplants, presentations of pediatric illnesses, heart attack and stroke patients too afraid to call emergency services and others all well documented. Now, again, like he's just he just goes point by point here. This is stuff I've been talking about, again, since I wrote uh, Revisionist History at the end of and, and recorded it and published it at the end of last May. And again, like I said yesterday, you can go back through the podcast back before High Noon started and listen to the Revisionist History episode. I go through the entire COVID narrative at that point. It's long. And that was, you know, two and a half months in. And I still think it holds up. Like the information hasn't changed. And everybody keeps pretending that everything about this virus is new and that we just don't have the information and there was never a plan and blah, blah, blah. It's just not true. We've had all this information the entire time. That's what makes it even more depressing. Beyond hospital care, CDC reported fourfold increases in depression, threefold increases in anxiety symptoms, and a doubling of suicidal ideation, particularly among young adults, college age, after the first few months of lockdowns, echoing the AMA reports of drug overdoses and suicides. An explosion of insurance claims for these psychological harms in children just verified this, doubling nationally since last year. And in the strictly locked down Northeast, there was a more than 300% increase of teenagers visiting doctors for self-harm. Again, look what we are doing to people. Also, the Northeast that he's talking about, what color on the electoral map is that? There is a reason why the bad things are happening in the blue places. Domestic abuse and child abuse have been skyrocketing due to the isolation and specifically to the loss of jobs, particularly in the strictest lockdowns. Given that many in-person schools have been closed, hundreds of thousands of abuse cases are never reported since schools are the number one agency where ab abuse is noticed. Finally, the unemployment shock from lockdowns, according to a recent NBER study, translates into what they call a staggering 890,000 additional U.S. deaths over the next 15 years from the lockdowns, disproportionately affecting minorities and women. Just that sentence alone, an extra 890,000 additional deaths over the next 15 years, just from the lockdowns. Really? When we get an accurate count of COVID deaths, we are going to see that COVID deaths won't pass 890,000 in the next 15 years. We know we have not seen, not yet seen, the full extent of the damage from lockdowns because it will last for years, even decades. Perhaps that is why lockdowns were not recommended in previous pandemic analyses, even for infections with far higher lethality. Okay? Again, this is one of those points that I have made a million times, but it's one of those ones that people still don't think is intuitive. And so they hesitate to believe it. It's true. Lockdowns were never a recommended mitigation strategy. 
the upside positive impact for a lockdown would have been to slow the spread, right? To flatten the curve. What does flattening the curve do? It doesn't end cases. It makes it so that hospitals don't exceed their capacity to the point where they have to decide who gets care. That was the only thing it was for. And instead, we have imagined that it solves death. Hey, if we just keep everybody in their homes, then no one will die. People still die. Now we're just making all the deaths ones that were totally unnecessary. Or not all of them, you know what I mean. We're creating an entirely new class of deaths as a result of this that were all completely avoidable where there has been no proof that any COVID death would have been avoidable. To manage such a crisis, shouldn't policymakers objectively consider both the virus harms and the totality of impact of policies? That's the importance of health policy experts, my field, with a broader scope of expertise than that of epidemiologists and basic scientists. And that's exactly why I was called to the White House. There were zero health policy scholars on the task force. No one with a medical background who also considered the impacts of the policies was advising the White House. That sentence is damning. Okay? No one, none of those doctors, none of those political hacks posing as experts, none of them were considering the impacts of the policies. Again, I've said it a million times, it's like these are some, like, Dungeons and Dungeons dorks, these epidemiologists. Epidemiology is basically applied mathematics and the rest is assumptions and beliefs about human nature that Dungeons and Dungeons dorks don't have any understanding of. These people live in the academy. That's not the real world. And it's certainly not the real world for 95% of America. They have no idea what they're doing. These are best guesses. And you have to assume that they're acting responsibly and that the people communicating their information are also acting responsibly. And that's not what we had. We had models where the top possible death statistic was the one that was used to inform public public policy. It's the one the media made sure to communicate to everybody to drive up their fear. Some of that is not even on the epidemiologists as bad and as wrong as they are. But no one in the task force or in the medical advisory group was taking into account the impact of the policies. They have not done it at any point. When Anthony Fauci is asked about those things in interviews, he does that same muddling nonsense he always does. And he says, well, you know, there's always going to be arguments against anything we do. But, you know, we're first primarily concerned with the science. No, you're not. To determine the best path forward necessarily means admitting that social lockdowns and significant restrictions on individuals are deadly and extraordinarily harmful, especially on the working class minorities and the poor. In his book, Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Charles McKay wrote, quote, 
of all of the offspring of time, error is the most ancient and is so old and familiar an acquaintance that truth, when discovered, comes upon most of us like an intruder and meets the intruder's welcome. And I think that everyone listening to the show can feel that. People do not want to be told that they were wrong and that they've been wrong for a very long time. They don't want to be told that they're wrong about some of the most important issues in their lives. It's hard to deal with. I understand it. But that doesn't mean that the truth is not the truth. Optimistically, we should be seeing the light at the end of the long tunnel with the rollout of vaccines. I believe that we are. But using logic that would put the Mad Hatter to shame, we now hear some claim that all children must be tested and vaccinated, even though they have extremely low risk from this infection and are proven to not be significant spreaders to adults. Or that all teachers must be vaccinated before they teach in person, even though schools are one of the lowest risk environments and the vast majority of teachers are not high risk. Wonderful questions. Worse, we hear the same faces on TV once again, stressing uncertainty and issuing new warnings that social distancing, masks and other restrictions will still be necessary after vaccination and until 2022. Is there no intention of those who control the narrative, the often proclaimed, quote, consensus to allow Americans to live normally, to live freely without fear again? And you know who he's talking about right here, right? He's talking about Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, who's somehow pretended to be an expert on this people like Scott Gottlieb and that worthless blob of pharma hackery, Andy Slavitt. These guys are on there lying all the time, all the time. Just as in Galileo's time, one real problem is the experts and quote vested academic interests. Faculty members of many universities, America's centers for critical thinking, have overtly in intimidated views contrary to their own, likely out of political reasons, leaving many afraid to speak up. That intimidation has been effective. I know I have received hundreds of emails from scientists and policy scholars all over the country, all over the world, telling me to never give up, but they are afraid to come forward. And yes, even a number of infectious disease experts right here at Stanford are afraid to step forward publicly and say the truth. It is commendable that Stanford's president and provost, former provost Echemendi, and a few other distinguished members of the academic community here spoke in defense of academic freedom at a recent faculty senate meeting. But it is not only the matter of academic freedom that needs comment. Instead of rethinking failed policies and admitting their errors, some have chosen to employ smears and opinion pieces and through organized rebukes against those of us who disagreed with what was implemented and who dared to help the country under a president they despised, apparently the ultimate transgression. Strawman arguments and out-of-context distortions to defame people are not acceptable in a civilized society, let alone in our great universities. There's been an attempt to silence and delegitimize me using falsifications and misrepresentations. This dishonors Stanford's code of conduct, damages the Stanford name, and most importantly, it abuses the trust the parents and society place in them to influence America's children, our next generation of leaders. It is understandable that most Stanford professors are not experts in health policy. That is my field, my lane. And understandable that most Stanford professors are ignorant of the data about the pandemic. But it is not acceptable, 
acceptable to claim that I made recommendations that were, quote, falsehoods and misrepresentations of science, unquote. That is a lie. No matter how often a lie is repeated and regardless of how often those lies are echoed in biased media, lies do not transform into truths. We should all remember the phrase attributed to Nazi propagandist Joseph Goebbels. A lie told once remains a lie, but a lie told a thousand times becomes the truth. And pray to God that it never becomes true in these United States of America. Now, unlike the quote unquote big lie narrative that the media has been running, talking about how election fraud is just a lie. It's not. This is actually using a Goebbels quote correctly. He was pointing to the idea that if you continue to lie to the people and lie to them forcefully enough and enough times, then they will believe it and everyone will believe it. And to all of them, that will be truth. But it actually doesn't. And what Scott Atlas is saying is it actually doesn't change the truth value. It still is true that lockdowns don't work and masks don't work. That's just flat out truth, period. We've seen it. There is no proof over nine months that any of this has helped. If there was proof, they would be showing it off all the time. All policy considerations I recommended to the president were designed to both reduce the spread of the virus to the most vulnerable and the structural harms of the policies to those impacted the most, the poor and working class of America. I was one of the first to push for increasing protections to those most at risk, particularly the elderly, because they were dying by the tens of thousands, because the chosen policies implemented by states recommended by other task force members were failing to protect them. Almost a year ago, I recognized that we must also consider the enormous harms to physical health, mental health, and lives lost coming directly from the draconian policies that attempted to contain the infection. That is the most appropriate goal of public health policy, to minimize all harms, not to simply stop COVID-19 at all costs. Another beautiful point that I have made, hopefully just as beautifully, a million times. The idea that the goal was ever to stop COVID, especially COVID infections, was a terrible, terrible, immoral idea. The idea is for the society to live well and be happy and be healthy. And that could have been achieved by simply admitting at the beginning of the pandemic that hydroxychloroquine worked or that you should do everything you can to work on building up your immune system and that you should take extra precautions if you were elderly or you were around the elderly or you were obese. That's it. That would have done better than what we have done. And people would still have their businesses and their careers and their children would be learning and not dropping out of school forever. At some point, society is going to need to uh, wrestle with the fact that this all truly has been for nothing. OK, a lot of people are doubling down on their complicity with these restrictions and they are imagining that like they're just going to keep on pushing and then it'll work. That's not the case. Okay. 
things that don't work don't work. You don't do them more and expect that they will. And I don't need to do the rehash of that quote that everybody says all the time. This isn't about insanity. Even if these policies made sense at first, the responsible thing would be to stop them because they haven't worked. Okay? Like if if they were throwing darts at a board and they were like, well, one of these is going to hit bullseye. Well, the truth is that none of them did, right? It might actually make you think that they were specifically not aiming for the bullseye. And if you thought that, congratulations, bullseye for you. The claim in a recent JAMA opinion piece by three Stanford professors that, quote, nearly all public health experts were concerned that Atlas's recommendations could lead to tens of thousands or more of unnecessary deaths in the U.S. alone, end quote, is patently false, absurd on its face. As pointed out on February 10th by Zinberg, the proposal called the Great Barrington Declaration is, quote, far closer to the one condemned in the JAMA article than anything Atlas said. Yet that policy declaration was co-authored by medical scientists and epidemiologists from Stanford, Harvard, and Oxford, and it has already been signed by over 50,000 medical and public health practitioners. When critics display such ignorance about the scope of use held by experts, it exposes their bias and wholly disqualifies their authority on these issues. Indeed, it is beyond parody that these same critics wrote, quote, professionalism demands honesty about what they know and do not know. End quote. I have indeed explained the fact that younger people have little risk from this infection, and I explained the biological concept of herd immunity, protection arising when a large percentage of people acquire immunity. Just like Harvard epidemiologist Catherine Yee and Martin Kaldorf and some of the top scientists at Stanford have explained. That is very different from proposing that people be deliberately exposed and infected by, quote, allowing the virus to spread naturally, end quote, without mitigation efforts. I have not advised that. And how timely it is that Professor Macari of Johns Hopkins School of Public Health did just the same, acknowledging in the Wall Street Journal on February 18th, 2021, that, quote, herd immunity is the inevitable result of viral spread and vaccination, end quote. You'll notice that the definition of herd immunity is being changed as we speak so that it includes only vaccination and not the fact that people can develop herd immunity, that the population, I should say, can develop herd immunity just by getting the virus and it going through the system. Macari went on to celebrate what he called, quote, the good news that, quote, the consistent and rapid decline in. In, de- in daily cases since January 8th can be explained only by natural immunity. Behavior didn't suddenly improve over the holidays. Americans traveled more over Christmas than they have since March. Vaccines also don't explain the steep decline in January. Vaccination rates were low and they take weeks to kick in. Now, what is difficult to understand about that? Okay. The only reason the virus is decreasing, that the case numbers are decreasing is from herd immunity. Well, and from the fact that they've changed the tests. Those are Macari's words. Will Dr. Macari now be linked with doctors who promote eugenics and those who conducted the racist uh, Tuskegee syphilis experiments, as in the piece in JAMA? Will professors also call 
for his medical license to be stripped or that he be formally censured for explaining the benefit of naturally acquired immunity. In fact, directly contrary to advocating that the infection spread, I've repeatedly called for mitigation measures, including extra sanitization, uh, social distancing, masks, group limits, testing, and other increased protections to limit the spread and damage from the coronavirus. I also explicitly called for augmenting protection of those at risk in dozens of on-the-record presentations, interviews, and written pieces, including, and he lists a bunch of them. One must ask the question, why would accusers also ignore my explicit, emphatic public denials about supporting the spread of the infection unchecked to achieve herd immunity? Denials quoted widely in the media. Are not my own statements the object of their criticism in the first place? Or is it due to a desire to cancel anyone who accepted the call, who had the audacity to help this country under President Trump? I've been accused of claiming that young people are not harmed by the virus and cannot spread the disease. To the contrary, I've frequently cited detailed data explicitly stating that children do get the infection, that children can have serious consequences from the infection, and that some children die from the disease. Again, another thing we have known the entire time. Children rarely get it. Their symptoms are rarely extreme. They rarely spread it. And they almost never die. When I said in a May 20th, 2020 interview with Congressman Andy Biggs that there was, quote, an extremely low risk for children that COVID-19 poses, end quote, and that the risk of dying if you're under 18 from this disease is, quote, nearly zero, end quote, that matches the data, including CDC, and is almost verbatim what John Ioannidis, renowned Stanford epidemiologist, summed up about the entire world's data. The risk of dying from COVID-19 is almost zero for young people. For many months, I was maligned after calling for an open uh, for opening in-person schools. The compelling case to open schools is now admitted to be longstanding truth. Even in lay publications like The Atlantic, they acknowledge that, quote, research from around the world has since the beginning of the pandemic indicated that people under 18 and especially younger kids are less susceptible to infection, less likely to experience severe symptoms and far less likely to be hospitalized or die. End quote. Further, that. Quote, we've known for months that young children are less susceptible to serious infection and less likely to transmit the coronavirus. Let's act like it. End quote. Oh, congratulations, Atlantic. As if you didn't have a massive, massive role in imposing all of these restrictions and generating nonsense fear. I am often reminded that a writer of theirs named Amanda Mull published in May, I think May 5th, 2020, an article called uh, Georgia's Experiment in Human Sacrifice because she thought that opening up on some level out of incredibly restrictive lockdowns that they did for a couple of weeks was akin to attempting murder on every Georgian. That's literally how she wrote it. It's pathetic that these people still have jobs and that then... They act like they have known this the whole time. Oh, yeah, we were always saying this. They weren't. The accusers who wrote the opinion piece in JAMA stated, quote, Atlas disputed the need for masks, end quote. That is misrepresenting my words. To the contrary, my advice on mask usage has been consistent and explicit. Quote, wear a mask when you cannot socially distance, end quote. And it matched the published recommendations of the World Health Organization in June. Quote, when outside, wear a mask if you cannot maintain physical distance from others, end quote. 
In December, the WHO modified that to, quote, in areas of known or suspected community or cluster SARS-CoV-2 transmission. WHO advises that the general public should wear a non-medical mask in settings where physical distancing of at least one meter cannot be maintained, i.e. not at all times, not by everyone. That also matches the NIH document dated February 2021, quote, prevention and prophylaxis of SARS-CoV-2 infection, end quote. When consistent distancing is not possible, face coverings may further reduce the spread of infectious droplets from individuals with SARS-CoV-2 infection to others. Again, it's important to actually read these words. When consistent distancing is not possible, consistent distancing, okay? Face coverings may further reduce, may, may further reduce the spread of infectious droplets from individuals with the infection to others, okay? What does that sound like to you? Does that sound like everyone needs to wear masks all the time? Like masking might help in the car or alone on your bicycle or running in the woods? Pretending that the way people think about it is in any way accurate is completely mind-blowing. And mindless. Regarding universal masks, 38 states have implemented general population mask mandate, most since at least the summer, with almost all the rest having mandates in their major cities. Widespread general population mask usage has, so, has shown little empirical utility for stopping cases, even though that evidence has been censored by Twitter and Amazon. Widespread mask usage showed only minimal impact in Denmark's randomized controlled study. Those are facts and facts matter. Here's the reality. Those who insist that universal mask usage is absolutely proven to be effective at controlling the spread of this virus and is universally recommended by quote, the science are ignoring the published evidence to the contrary. One could say they are propagating false and misleading information. Some might even call that using a phrase from the JAMA opinion, subverting science. I posted a list where mask mandates empirically failed to stop cases, along with direct quotes, without any edit, from WHO, CDC, and Oxford University. That was censored by Twitter. And I stated numerous times that it would be irrational to wear a mask, quote, when alone riding a bicycle outside, when driving your own car alone, or when walking in the desert alone, end quote. I stand by those words. I guess I do too, since I just said very similar ones. Those who charge that it is unethical, even dangerous, to question broad population mask mandates must not realize that several of the world's top infectious disease scientists and major public health organizations explicitly question the efficacy of general population masks. The public needs to know the truth. For instance, Jefferson and Hennigan of University of Oxford Center for Evidence-Based Medicine wrote, it would appear that despite two decades of pandemic preparedness, there is considerable uncertainty as to the value of wearing masks. Oxford's renowned epidemiologist, Sunetra Gupta, said there is no need for masks unless one is elderly or high risk. Again, I've been following her work since the beginning. Stanford's Jay Bhattacharya stated, Mask mandates are not supported by the scientific data. There is no scientific evidence that mask mandates work to slow the spread of the disease. 
Throughout this pandemic, until December, the WHO's advice on the use of masks in the context of COVID-19 stated, at present, there is no direct evidence from studies on COVID-19 and in healthy people in the community on the effectiveness of universal masking of healthy people in the community to prevent infection with respiratory viruses, including COVID-19. In December, the WHO changed their wording to today's At present, there is only limited and inconsistent scientific evidence to support the effectiveness of masking of healthy people in the community to prevent infection with respiratory viruses, including SARS-CoV-2. Okay, now their new update, right, their new wording, are we to imagine that this is updated science, that they're somehow communicating updated science to us? No. They are trying to make the narrative stick. Limited and inconsistent scientific evidence, which for this issue in practice is essentially the same as no scientific evidence because this stuff has now been tried all over the world for months and months and months and had legitimately no effect anywhere. This is, I mean, it's crazy. The CDC, in a review of influenza pandemics, quote, did not find evidence that surgical type face masks are effective in reducing laboratory confirmed influenza transmission, either when worn by infected persons, source control, or by persons in the general community to reduce their susceptibility, end quote. And until the WHO removed it on October 21st, 2020, uh, parentheses here, almost immediately after Twitter censored my tweet highlighting the WHO quote, The WHO had written, quote, at the present time, the widespread use of masks by healthy people in the community setting is not yet supported by high quality or direct scientific evidence. And there are potential benefits and harms to consider. (laughs) Again, this is the WHO. Okay, this is the commies. So what we have is our own public health institutions and media. Rephrasing and reinterpreting what the health organizations they say they follow are actually saying so that they can make it stick with the narrative they want. These are direct quotes from the CDC and the WHO and some of the world's top scientists. My advice on masks has always been based on scientific data, and it matches the advice of many of the top scientists and public health organizations throughout the world. One final false accusation must be addressed that I, quote, made unsupported claims about the immunity conferred by surviving infection, end quote. To the contrary, I was correct in accurately citing the scientific literature when I explained that biological protection from this infection is not fully shown by antibody tests since antibody prevalence changes or prevalence changes in people over time. And protection is also derived from other parts of the immune system, including T cells, even in asymptomatic and mildly symptomatic patients, according to the Karolinska Institute. Professor Makari of the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and Bloomberg School of Public Health acknowledged this on February 18th, 2021, explaining that, quote, antibody studies almost certainly underestimate natural immunity. Antibody testing doesn't capture antigen-specific T cells. Again, prior T cell immunity is, has been a working theory for the entire time. Penn State, Professors at Penn State studied it, and they believed that due to prior T-cell immunity, 
that the number of actual infections might be up to 80 times the number of laboratory confirmed cases. And I asked them last fall whether they still believe that. And the professor, one of the professors who wrote the paper said, yes. Okay. I'm not like pulling this stuff out of thin air. And this is Atlas again. I was also correctly citing data that demonstrated some individuals could have cross protection from previous coronavirus infections shown by Singapore researchers and explicitly supported by the NIH itself on December 15th, 2020. The evidence that a subset of people has a cross reactive T cell repertoire through exposure to related coronaviruses is strong. That's the quote from the NIH. The NIH. Okay. At this point, one could make a reasonable case that those who continue to push significant societal restrictions without acknowledging their failures and serious harms are themselves putting forth dangerous misinformation. As Stanford's Ioannidis stated on February 20th, 2021, quote, most of the estimates show the draconian lockdowns increased the problems. It was pro-contagion, end quote. Those restrictions have plainly damaged the public health, as my Stanford accusers might say. But I will not call for their official rebuke or punishment. I will not try to cancel them. I will not try to extinguish their opinions. And I will not lie to distort their words and defame them. To do so would repeat a behavior of intimidating the discourse that is critical to educating the public and arriving at the scientific truths we desperately need. As a health policy scholar for over 15 years and as a professor at top universities for 30 years, I now fear for our students and for our nation's future. Some faculty members of our acclaimed universities, many of whom are automatic recipients of society's respect because of those university titles, are now dangerously intolerant of opinions contrary to their personally favored narrative. Without permitting, indeed encouraging, open exchange of views and admission of errors, we might never solve any future crisis. At a minimum, university mottos, if such things matter, like Harvard's truth, Stanford's the winds of freedom blow, and Yale's light and truth, need to be explained to all faculty members at these universities. Some go further, distorting and misrepresenting words to delegitimize and prompt punishment of those of us willing to serve the country, their country, alongside a president they happen to loathe. As Tobin wrote on March 1st, delegitimizing Atlas and his analysis of the coronavirus disaster was a matter of treating all those who have any connection with the Trump administration as criminals, something that could only be accomplished by blatant misrepresentations of his views and statements. I feel that too, brother. Worse than a violation of ethical behavior among colleagues that does not meet my standard of simple human decency. If academic leaders and the entire academic community fail to denounce such attempts to vilify those whom one disagrees with, many more experts with a reputation to lose will be unwilling to serve this country in contentious times. As educators, as parents, as fellow citizens, that would be the worst possible legacy to leave to our children. We should also fear that the concept of, quote, the science has been seriously damaged. Even the best journals in the world, New England Journal of Medicine, Lancet, Science, and Nature, have become contaminated by politics and published bad science. And he's correct there. That's not an opinion. They have had to retract multiple reports and studies based on the fact that they were just purely false and methodologically invalid, I guess is the best word to say it. They had to retract studies on hydroxychloroquine 
You know how dangerous that is? The amount of deaths that could have been prevented with just society-wide hydroxychloroquine use must number in the tens, if not hundreds of thousands. That adds to the public's confusion and it diminishes trust in experts. By now, many in the public have simply become fatigued by the arguments. That reaction is even worse because widespread fatigue will allow fallacy to triumph over truth. And this is where I think most of the middle of the country is. Okay. And if there is still a middle of the country, but these are the redeemable commies. He's talking. These people have simply tuned out. Okay. They're happy to just get the notification on their phone and see that like, Oh, Trump said this thing, or we have 10 more cases. That's how they get their news now. Okay. Cause they don't want to be attached to any of it because it is so toxic. Again, that's a fault of the media. It's not a fault of the people challenging the media. Okay. Americans are now faced with a new status quo. Biased social media have joined a dominant voice on campuses to be the arbiter of allowable discussion. The United States is on the precipice of losing its cherished freedoms with censorship and cancellation of all those who bring views forward that differ from the accepted mainstream. Again, 100% right. And, you know, it's one thing when people like me complain about being censored on Twitter or Instagram, right? It's another thing when one of the top experts in the country, a legitimate expert in his field who is clearly an open-minded thinker and communicator when he is censored and when the things he said and says are assumed to be anti-scientific immediately because Dr. Fauci doesn't like them. That is a very, very bad place for a society to be. And this is exactly the same sort of attitude that infected the election fraud discussion. Now, again, I have faith that both of these massive frauds committed against our society are going to be resolved. But we don't have to lie about the fact that they exist. It is not clear if our democracy with its defining freedoms will recover even after we survive the pandemic itself. But it is clear that people must step up, meaning speak up as we are allowed, as we are expected to do in free societies, or it has no chance. Finally, McKay again presciently spoke about the herd. Quote, men, it has been well said, think in herds. It will be seen that they go mad in herds while they only recover their senses slowly and one by one, end quote. And that is a wonderful quote. I had not read that before. That is what we see happening now, right? I know everybody's frustrated. Again, success is the metric here, not speed, okay? People only wake up one by one. That's why it's so difficult. That's why podcasts, however many of them you listen to, and however red-pilling they are, it takes a while. It's a process. But it has to happen. And that's why we have to keep pushing for it. You have to keep spreading information. You have to keep having difficult conversations with people. So how do we proceed at this very moment in this country with its heavily damaged psyche? Those of us who want the truth must keep seeking it. And those of us who see the truth must keep speaking it. Even if the recovery from madness is slow. And even if it is only one by one. Because truth matters. Cheers to Scott Atlas, 
who has been awesome throughout this entire period, despite what has been done to him. I really, really, truly appreciate this man. And I truly appreciate this article because he's exactly right. And this is the stuff that I've been trying to communicate for a year. So I hope that maybe his voice entering the conversation this way. I hope that people read this and that it gets out there. You should read it yourself. You should share it with whoever you can. And because I know today's episode wasn't funny at all and that sucks. Um, And I didn't actually mean to make the whole episode just reading a thing. So apologies maybe or maybe it was great i don't know but uh yeah i had to deal with a a commie at a coffee shop that i tried this morning so i figured that i would uh talk about that for a second and of course i wrote a yelp review um because the mask mandates you know i'm still in texas are uh are over now and i walk in without a mask on the first thing you hear and this happened in starbucks today as well um can you put on a mask? Yeah, listen, uh, you need to have a mask on to be here. Well, excuse me? Can I put on a mask is a question. It's not asked particularly nicely, and it's said in a condescending fashion, but at least it's a question. You need to have a mask on to be in here is not a question, and it's rude. And I said, really? You guys are still doing that? The mask mandate's over. And she's like, yeah, well, you know, like private business. And I'm like, but... And there's some other customers around. And I was like, but you all know that these don't do anything, right? And these two guys who are the customers, like, just zip it, like, totally silent. I'm like, okay. Did you guys get soy milk in your coffee? Um, Soy lattes, guys. Uh, But the girl behind the counter, like, pipes back up. And she was like, yeah, well, you know, they do work and that's what the science says and i was like well no it doesn't and also there's a guy 15 feet away over there sitting there not wearing a mask and she's like well yeah it's uh it's okay when you're sitting and i was like and i look back at the whole group i'm like we all understand that this doesn't make any sense right and she's like it does make sense and i was like yeah okay fine i'm not gonna buy anything here but this is ridiculous And she's like, well, if you're not going to buy anything, we're going to have to ask you to leave. And I said, yeah, I am leaving. It would be crazy for me to stay here if I'm not going to buy anything. And so when I got back to my car, I, I look inside and she and one of the guys are clearly talking about me and looking at me as I leave. (laughs) And I just like waved at them. But yeah, the communism is real still. Even even in uh, the great state of Texas. So everybody get this article to as many maskies as you can or share the podcast with them. Like I never ask anybody to share my stuff. I try not to ask anybody to ever pay for stuff, but that stuff really does help me. So do the uh, ratings on iTunes and whatnot. But it's time now that everyone should be able to to speak the truth to people. Okay. And if you're still not able to do that, like people close to your life, start close to you in your life, start with them. And if they reject you, then you got to reject them. You know what I mean? Like they think that they can just Lord over you and tell you what to say and think. And you got to make it clear that that is not happening anymore. All right. If the price of friendship 
is you having to lie and comply with all this bullshit, then I'm sorry. That person has told you they are not your friend. All right. You don't need to actually question that. You don't need to hold on to something that isn't there. They are telling you that they are not your friend by telling you that they do not respect your beliefs and opinions, no matter how well formed. All right. If only their ideas count, then they are not your friend. This stuff has to be shared. This stuff has to be spread. It has to get out there because none of what they're doing is based on science. None of it, none of it at all. That's why I was joking in my opening. Anthony Fauci actually said on television that it's a judgment call. The restrictions that they're easing off of with the vaccine are a judgment call. They're doing it in a staged approach. So no longer is it that the vaccine can just protect everybody and that we can go back to normal life. They're staging it. They're taking it slow. It's a judgment call. It's always a judgment call. Because they don't have science on their side. If they had the science on their side, they would say that this is what works and then it would work. Okay. The fact that it doesn't work means it's a not science and B there's something else there. Okay. It's not the best known science. This isn't a new field of science just because COVID came up. Just because your ignorant commie friends have never thought about this stuff before doesn't mean it's all new information to the world. Okay. There's not new information about COVID. There's new statistics. There's not new information. Everything is the same as it always has been. They have been wrong every single time about every single thing. And that's it. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns do not work. It could never be more obvious that they do not work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. 
I hope to see you soon. Back out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!